0: You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome. To another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, such as Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, whatever you like. And if you don't like any of those apps, you can always ask your smart device, like Siri, Alexa, Google Home. Play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today we're doing a little bit more of a deep dive into the, the Raiders game, and this is always kind of the more abstract episode of the week where we can kind of take a step back, we can look, uh, you know, really deep into certain things that were really important, we'll do some of that, and we're also going to do a little bit more of uh, some of the philosophical debate that stems from yet another game like this where the Vikings kind of run it down the throats of the Raiders and win another game like that, and that kind of leads to a whole bunch of questions of, you know, is the passing game, it, should we be concerned about it, can we keep winning games this way, we'll talk about all of that stuff. But the first thing I like to do in this uh, Tuesday episode after the game is just kind of like set the record straight on a couple of things that I talked about yesterday. There are some things that I want to confirm, some things I want to update, some things that I just was like, oh, wow, I was spectacularly wrong about that on the live watch. And on rewatch, you know, you can kind of dial in and, and focus a little bit more when you kind of know the results of of what's what's going to go down. So what I really want to start with, because I think it's probably the most important thing to change, is that I way undersold Kirk Cousins's game. Uh Kirk Cousins was like efficient especially to start out the game when the game was actually still competitive, which was for about, like, I don't know, six minutes of it. But in that six minutes, he was really efficient. He was making the proper reads. It is also important that, you know, the skill players were winning down the field and the looks were being set up in the way that they were supposed to, so it was made easy for Kirk Cousins. And in that scenario, we kind of get to see the best of him. You know, when everything kind of, like, works out the, the way it's supposed to, he will very, very consistently deliver everything you ask ask him to do. And that's not something like that's, it sounds almost like a backhanded compliment. And I don't mean it that way. It really is like an important thing that not all quarterbacks can do. You know, sometimes quarterbacks will take away plays that otherwise would have been there. And I think that area is a strength of, of Kirk Cousins. And it's a strength that was on full display on Sunday, specifically like in the first couple of drives, you know, that, uh, the, the to Irv Smith that then set up the Thielen touchdown, that was two back-to-back really good plays. There were a couple of other plays where, uh, Kirk Cousins performed really well under duress like when the game was still within reach. And then, you know, you got to the point of the game script where the run game then took over and you had to stop asking Kirk Cousins to do things. But I guess the way I'll put it is, is this. The way the passing offense functioned in that game... I would say that if the game were more competitive, you know, let's say the Raiders were a little bit more competent on offense and they kept the game, you know, within a score or two and, and you had to actually try and you had to actually ask things of your passing game, I think that would have gone pretty well in that hypothetical considering the way that the passing game performed when they were, at, you know, the, the few times that they were, like, actually asked to do something. And, of course, it's against the Raiders, so adjust for your strength of competition and everything like that. But still... The passing game performed really well, and Kirk Cousins was a really big part of that. I also want to just update my my takes on, like, Bradbury and Elfline. I... I kind of want to confirm my, my take on Elfline. I thought Elfline had a really solid game. He had the one, like, embarrassing uh, whiff on the Adam Thielen rushing touchdown, which was just, like, more of a spectacularly hilarious failure. Uh, but I thought overall he played, like, nice and consistently, which is nice. Again, strength of competition and whatever, but it's nice to see him put together a game. Garrett Bradbury is still a concern to me. Less of a concern than I thought uh, on rewatch and also informed by his PFF grade was, like, in the 50s, which is still bad, but not, you know, a, an emergency like it was in, in weeks two. And two but that doesn't like stop it from being a concerning trend because like there's been three games now and in all three of them bradbury's performance is consistent with what you would expect from a bad lineman if you just like said generically a bad lineman goes up against grady jarrett kenny clark and then like whatever the raiders put out the pj hall or whatever you would expect him to get his butt kicked twice and then to kind of you know play the bad guy to a stalemate And that's kind of exactly what happened. So it's still definitely a concern. It's not doom and gloom. Of course, he's a rookie. He's got lots of time to develop and learn things. And the the mistakes that he's making are kind of rookie mistakes. So this isn't like doom and gloom. It's just that he's off to a bad start. And that really stinks. And I don't think that he performed well enough in this game to like curb that trend. He did perform well enough in this game to curb fears of like total TJ Clemming's doom. But that was always kind of irrational in the first place. And then I also want to highlight Irv Smith a little bit more intensely, because yesterday I talked to him, I said, oh yeah, Irv Smith got involved, that's great, but I went back and actually looked at those plays, and they all feature, like, good deceptive route running, and, you know, smart route running, and you know, nice suddenness, like the the skills and traits that you want from like a good, like almost, you know, wide receiver technique, which is what tight ends need to exhibit on these routes. So it was really nice and refreshing to see. And and Irv Smith, if he can start to levy that speed and athleticism with savvy route running, you know, pick up a trick or two off of Diggs and Thielen that you're next to all the time. He can actually turn into a dangerous weapon and kind of fill that wide receiver three void that the Vikings are are hurting so bad for right now. Defensively, there's not a whole lot of surprises that came out of, you know, rewatching and kind of digging a little deeper. Obviously, Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter are still monsters. Everson Griffin confirmed that he had, or uh, Eric Kendricks confirmed uh, that he had an amazing game. Harrison Smith is still playing at an elite level. I thought Trey Waynes had a a good game, and I didn't really catch it in the live watch. Obviously, it's tough with secondary, um, but the, the catches that Waynes did give up are catches that the scheme kind of asks you to concede when you're stuck in a conflict. So, you know, if they put you in a conflict, you basically just... You're supposed to just choose whichever one, you know, cover whichever one's going to hurt you more, and Trey Waynes made that decision correctly every time, let a catch be in front of you for four yards on second and 10, whatever, you've set up third and medium. But that's a lot better than, you know, trying to commit to the flat route and make a big play and then suddenly something happens behind you for 12 yards and they converted. Trey Waynes missed a couple of tackles, which, like, torpedoed his run his, uh, run defense grade, but he had four run stops, so obviously there's a lot of good stuff going on there, he just missed a couple of tackles. And uh, my my thoughts about Mike Hughes were perhaps a little too extreme yesterday, but I do stick by that he did have like a struggle of a game. And I mean, Mike Zimmer even agrees too. He said that out loud. So Mike Hughes had a rough game back, first game back after a long absence, and he's still young. As only his seventh game as a pro, so not like a cause for concern or anything. Certainly not bad enough to be a cause for concern. But in terms of a cause of how you know the Raiders were able to move the ball, the few times they were able to move the ball, yeah, Mike Hughes was. culprit a few times. So in a second here, we are going to get into some of the more like philosophical points that come off of a game like this. And just the way the Vikings have started the season, and it's very strange, and it's difficult to parse, and we'll talk about it. But first, I want to talk to you about the sponsor for today's episode, Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a clothing line. It's better than whatever you're wearing right now. And for 20% off of your first order, you can visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code On. Also, you guys are all smart, right? You know what's going to happen in these football games. You can predict it. Why did not you make a buck off it? Go head over to mybookie.ag. That's the best online sports book out there. And I don't like, have to say that. Like That's something that I'm saying because I have genuinely had a good experience on my bookie. It's very fast. It's a very easy to use website. It's all very streamlined. It's easy to navigate and find the bet you want to make. It's even easy to set up a parlay, which is the kind of bet where you bet on, you know, a few different outcomes, and if they all happen, your money multiplies exponentially, but you need them all. I happened to make one this weekend, and I happened to win it, and I turned 9 bucks into 50 bucks, which is awesome. And I don't know, that's just, like, how I like to do it. I I don't need to, you know, drop $100 every time I'm making a bet. I just like to nickel and dime, have a little fun, have a reason to pay attention to a Sunday night football game between the Browns and Rams that I wouldn't otherwise care about. And right now you can go to mybookie.ag, you can sign up, and they will double your deposit if you enter promo code LOCKEDON when you sign up. That's free gambling money. It's just as important who you bet with as who you bet on. So go over to mybookie.ag, enter promo code LOCKEDON, accept your free money, and start making some money off of all that football know-how today. Okay, so at the crux of this episode is essentially the question that everybody's kind of been debating especially people who don't like intimately know the vikings like not necessarily among vikings fans who all watched the game and went yeah all right well that one was awesome they just kind of kicked but we'll see what happens in chicago but like a lot of the national stuff there's i've seen a lot of tweets come out and a lot of like coverage come out from like nfl network and stuff saying that like oh my goodness the the vikings even after adjusting for game script are running more than any other franchise and that is either cause for concern or oh they're keeping it old school or like now you know they're like all spouting off their opinions about that but the point is the Vikings are running the team more than anybody is that sustainable are they going to be able to continue to win games that way and I think that that's kind of a weird question and it's kind of difficult to parse so I just wanted to take some time here on this Tuesday show to like step back and talk about it. So I guess I just want to, like, define what the actual question is here. And I I think the concern comes from, okay, the Vikings have won a couple of games in, like, a super unorthodox way, right? Like, they've run the ball more than you typically see a team running the ball in a win. Usually they have to pass a lot more to get ahead. And some of that's been born out of, like, turnovers and short fields. Some of that's been born out of explosive runs, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. And those factors, which help contribute to this kind of, like, blowouty feel in the two wins the Vikings have had kind of feel unsustainable, right? They feel fluky. They feel like well, you're not going to have Dalvin Cook bust a 75-yarder every game. You're not going to have, you know, the opposing quarterback horribly sail a pass right into the waiting arms of your free safety who wasn't really in position. He was just lucky there. Like, that's not going to happen every game, and so when that doesn't happen, how do we know? What's going to happen? Is Kirk going to fall apart again? You know, what's going to go on? And I think that's a totally legitimate concern, because what we have seen with the start of the Viking season is not, like, a normal way for a football team to go about its business, at least not in the last, I don't know, 25 years. But the run game and the way that they're approaching it is a, a little different, I guess. But I don't think it's different enough to like curb some of the the typical criticisms of being a run-heavy team. But like one of the criticisms that I always have of being a run-heavy heavy team is that I think coaches overvalue like the we're gonna beat them up and be physical and and you know out tough them and win the game that way because I don't know about you but I would never underestimate the toughness of defensive NFL players especially, but even you know any NFL player like. I'm never going to be like, yeah, I think I'm going to make it so that they get hurt too bad and give up like that. I, I don't think that if you get to the NFL, that's an easy thing to do to someone. It feels like you're taking a really hard route to victory. I get like trying to run somebody up and down the field. If there's a fatigue issue, you know, if you're going up against an aging corner, uh, you know, just line up a guy against him a whole bunch of times, have him run a bunch of go routes and, and get the guy exhausted. That I totally get. But I feel like when you're talking about, like, nose day, guys like Linval Joseph and Everson Griffin, like, these guys hunger for contact, game in and game out. I don't think that they get sick of too much. And I think that's part of why, like, the data bears out that, like, as a game goes on, if a team has been run on a whole bunch, they don't get any worse at defending the run. They don't get any worse at defending the pass. Like, it, there's not really a correlation there. And I think it's just because, like, yeah, because NFL players, maybe they're sore and they're in pain and they hate it, but that doesn't actually make them worse at football. Like, you can still execute a swim move just fine, even if your ribs hurt. And that, in my opinion, erroneous uh, strategy is leads to a bunch of wasted plays where you'll run the ball on second and long just because, yeah, it's not going to get us down a distance, but, you know, we'll get him, we'll punch him in the mouth once and that'll come back later to help us in the game. And I don't think that that bears out, but I don't think that's what the Vikings are doing. Now, they do run on second and long very often, and I think it's just a like, poor down in distance management, but I don't think they're doing it for the physicality of it. I think they're doing it because they understand it has big play potential. And in their defense, they have generated, like, three explosive plays on second and long, so I don't know, maybe it's not as bad as we think. Or more likely that's just going to regress back to the mean and eventually you're going to have to start calling plays a little bit smarter than that. And you can't keep getting away with it forever. So this concern kind of like stems two questions off of it. One is what happens when they take away the run game, right? Because that's not hard to do this in the NFL. Every defensive coordinator knows you can just put eight guys in the box and then either the Vikings would have to block eight on eight and then that's eight pe- different people that can lose a one-on-one matchup and screw up the play. You know, you, you as the offense have to go 8-0 and o when you have eight blockers versus eight defenders in the blocks. You have to go 8-0, otherwise somebody gets in and they ruin the play. Now, zone run is kind of uh, designed, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, zone run is kind of designed to make it so that one guy messing up the play doesn't, like, throw a wrench and screw up everything. You know, it allows the running back to read and, and you know, get around it if you don't quite get your block off just right. But the point still stands that there's a whole bunch of different points in a a typical run play, if the box is loaded, even if you have enough people to make it like a plus box, If they load the box, that's a whole bunch of opportunities for failure. And that's why there's such a strong correlation between rushing success and how many men are in the box. So say you're the Bears and you're watching all this tape and you know the Vikings narrative and you know what the Vikings are about and you've seen Dalvin Cook and stuff and you go, all right, fine. I'm going to put a safety in the box every single time. I'm going to make sure that no matter how you line up, I have one more defender in the box than you have blockers. And now we're going to make Kirk Cousins beat you with Diggs and Thielen. And that is kind of, I guess, the concern right now. That was kind of the situation the Vikings were put in in the Lambeau game because they got so far behind, and of course that didn't go well, so is this also going to not go well? You know, the Bears are a good defense. We'll obviously preview them a lot more later in the week, but they're the example right now just because they're next. And I think to my earlier point about Kirk in the Raiders game you know, in this game, if the Raiders had just resolved, all right, we're going to load the box and we're not going to let you, you know, use that jet motion to get somebody out of the box. It's a trick that they've used a ton and gotten a ton of success out of where they have, you know, somebody move across the formation and that causes the defender to move from one side of the formation to the other. And then they will just run right at the, the side of the formation that defender just left. And actually, if you look at like the biggest runs that's happening in like almost all of them. So if I'm a an opposing team, I'm going to say, okay, we're going to have to change the way that we align for this game to not allow them to do that. So you can do a fairly easy number of things to counter what the Vikings are doing right now. They're not doing anything revolutionary that nobody can figure out. You can counter it if you just decide to commit, but deciding to commit comes with a downside. That is, you know, if you put a safety in the box every time you kind of limit yourself to single high coverages. And that's something that if you're a smart play caller, and they're not always a smart play caller. So sometimes the data gets noisy here, but if you're a smart play caller, you can probably find a way to take advantage of that. And then the question becomes, are the Vikings smart Is the quarterback capable of doing it? And that's, I guess, maybe a debate for another day. But I think that's how you have to think about this, right? Because it's not necessarily, oh, they're relying on the run game because it's all they have, because I don't think that's true. They have Diggs, they have Thielen, maybe you're a Kyle Rudolph stan. Irv Smith might actually be putting this together after a relatively slow start to his career. They've got a lot going on outside of Dalvin Cook and, and Alexander Madison and, and this zone-run Kubiak game. And not to mention, the defense is appears to be the same defense it has been for the last like five years, which means you're going to be able to get off the field on a bunch of fourth downs. You're going to actually be amazing on third and fourth and short you're you know, you're not gonna be giving up uh too many huge plays. They had that kind of streak of busted coverages last year, but that's very old news and they've totally switched up scheme and everything, so that like doesn't really have any bearing moving forward. Like the defense you can rely on pretty well to be good moving forward. So like, there's a lot going on on this team outside of this run game. I think if your takeaway is, oh my goodness, the Vikings have dealt, you know, they're the Minnesota Dalvin Cooks. And if you shut down Dalvin Cook, you shut down the Vikings. I don't think that's necessarily true. It could be true if you can also, you know, find a way to beat Kirk Cousins. But like that, it's not shut down Dalvin Cook and then you automatically win. There's other steps you have to take. There are possible steps and things that teams can do and probably will, let's be honest. I mean, they're not going to run the table, right? But the question of what happens when they, you know, load the box and shut down the run game isn't a very difficult one to think about. There's debate to be had about whether or not Kirk Cousins can handle, you know, a defense like Chicago's or a defense like Seattle's or even a defense like the Chargers, all games that the Vikings are going to have to play, you know, on the road, some of them in prime time. Is Kirk Cousins going to be able to handle that when they do the obvious thing and load the box and take Dalvin Cook away from the game? I don't know. We'll have to debate it when it comes time to preview those games but the point I'm trying to make here is that the answer to that debate is the answer to the question. It's not as easy as shut down Dalvin Cook and shut everything else down. But the other question that comes off of this, which I'm going to answer in a second here, is, is this sustainable? Can the Vikings just continue to be a run-first team and find their way into the playoffs, kind of like the Seahawks did last year? Like, maybe they can do this. Maybe there's something different going on here. And I want to take a closer examination because this isn't a typical run game something seems maybe a little bit more dynamic about it than we're used to seeing and I'll get into a little bit more data here in a second okay so there's a whole bunch of different ways to like parse out the the success of a running game you can look at certain stats like EPA, you can look at success rate, which is essentially just like logging whether or not a run play costit- constituted a gain or a loss for the offense. You know, you can think of like, did they convert on third down? You can think of, did they get enough on first down to set up a manageable second down? And there's a kind of debate over where that line is is drawn, but it is a, a reasonable measure, right? You can just look at general like yards and production stuff. It, it all kind of depends on how you want to treat things like Dalvin Cook's 75 75- yard run against the Packers in Lambeau Field, right? Does that count as 75 yards? Does that count as like, you know, a dozen run plays worth of yardage on one good play? Obviously, it should count for more than other random run attempts, but how much more? And all these different measures kind of, like, come up with a different answer to that question, and it becomes a, a kind of an interesting debate, you know, what's more stable, what's more predictive, what's better at, you know, telling you how things are going to go moving forward. I have my own opinions on on what's good, but essentially, here is how I think I can characterize... The run game, at least statistically, and I think that that's agreeable in the tape as well. There's a couple of stats. So, in success rate, where I, I think that the uh, sharpfootballstats.com, I'll link that in the show notes. It's a really fun website to browse, especially if you're a numbers nerd like me. Uh, I think that their definition for success rate is the 40 60 100 rule. So, on first down, if you got 40% of the yards to gain, usually four yards or more, then that's a good run on first down. If you, on second down, you need 60% of the yards to gain. So if it's uh, second and five, you need three yards to set up a third and two for it to kind of count as, yeah, that second down, like, did enough to be worth the play that you called. And then, of course, 100% on third and fourth down, you need to convert. And then it's just a binary. You just go through every attempt and say, did you do it? Did you not? And what's the percent that you did it? And by that metric, the Vikings rank, like, 19th or something like that. But they're very, like, middle of the pack when it comes to success rate on run plays. And that might be surprising to you because the Vikings have, like, this highly touted run game that's, like, gotten more yards than everything, but a lot of that has been because of explosive plays. Now, defining an explosive play is also kind of difficult. You know, what what counts? Is it 10 yards? Is it, a, is it 15 yards? Is it 20 yards? Is it an explosive play if you got 15 yards on 3rd and 17? I believe there was a 2nd and 18 where Dalvin Cook got 16 yards. Does that count as explosive? You didn't even get a first down? I have my own thoughts about all that stuff by uh warren sharp's definition which i believe is 10 plus or maybe it's 15 plus the vikings have like 17 percent explosive plays so that means roughly you get one big like explosive run like one of those big you know 20 yard ones or a big dalvin cook run away every about six times you try it which is a lot of famine to get to the feast now, mind you, that ranks third league-wide behind just the Giants with Saquon Barkley, and that probably is going to go down now that Barkley's hurt, and the Dallas Cowboys with that offensive line and Zeke Elliott. Now, for a project I'm probably going to work on later throughout the week, uh, maybe if I finish it, I'll link it in a show notes, but it's it's just some film stuff that I'm going to do like mostly on Twitter. Uh, About these explosive plays I decided to cast a wide net when I was choosing which plays i'm going to cover just so that I could cover more plays But I decided to say okay 10 plus plays and sort out any unsuccessful ones Well, it turned out that there were no unsuccessful plays in these explosive runs There weren't any of those, uh, you know They got 12 and it was third and 14 kind of runs and I also included touchdowns because I figure, you know When you're on the one yard line and you punch it in that counts enough as like a quote-unquote big play to be like worth Breaking down and since the vikings have had trouble in short yardage Anyways, I figured it would be a worthy exercise. So if you just count touchdowns and 10 plus runs for rushing touchdowns and 10 plus runs, the Vikings had 22 such plays so far. In three games, which like sounds like a lot. Like I don't want to do that exercise for the whole league, and and I don't think anybody else like drew those specific parameters, so I can't really conveniently compare. But it seems like quite a lot. They had seven in the Falcons game, five in the Packers game, and a whopping ten against the Raiders, which I guess kind of tracks with the quality of those defenses respectively. So all this is to say this, and and if you have been listening to this podcast, you probably know that I don't really like to have like summarize-y takes that are like so therefore the run game is good, or therefore, I, that my, like, final conclusions tend to be kind of worried. So here's the the best summarization that I can come up with that I think encompasses everything that is important to understand about the run game. So, for one, the run game is pretty good at generating explosive plays, but it's still a run game, which means it's only actually successful at gaining enough yards to keep you ahead of the chains, like, half the time. The Vikings, like a lot of teams, should probably pass more if they want to have sustained success, but that's less true for the Vikings than it is for everybody else. That doesn't mean it's untrue, it's just, like, to a lesser degree. And even though, after adjusting for game script, the Vikings are still the heaviest run team in the league, game script is still probably warping our perceptions of just how much Mike Zimmer wants to run in a game versus how much it happened to be convenient to run in a game because you've been up 21 to to nothing, in the first half twice. So back to, like, the operative question, is that sustainable? I kind of think it is. I mean, explosive plays are not the most stable thing, and that kind of tracks, right, when, you know, you're talking about, like, from game to game, the Vikings from, you know, the Packers game to the Raiders game doubled the amount of explosive plays. Of course, that's not that sustainable, but I do think that they're pretty good at generating them, and I would be surprised if there were games even against the Chicago Bears, where they didn't get three or four of these big long runs ripped off. So I think that part of it's sustainable. I think having a middle-of-the-road success is absolutely sustainable, right? If, if anything, you're just gonna regress closer to the middle and I think the number of attempts is unsustainable but that like doesn't matter and that's kind of what we want anyways because I do think that the Vikings probably should be passing a little bit more and I'll probably be a lot more upset about that if you know we're not coming off of a 34 to 14 clobbering. But, of course, that requires you to, you know, trust the pass protection and trust the quarterback. And there's all kinds of other deep-seated issues there that we talked about plenty last week. So, overall, is the run game going to stay good? Yeah, probably, unless they load the box and, like, really super commit against it. But that comes at a cost for the defense, so hopefully the Vikings can take advantage. I don't think that every game's going to look like this. I don't think anybody thinks that all the games are going to look like this. I don't think the Vikings do. I don't think any analysts do. It's probably a straw man if you're trying to argue against that. Uh, But I do think that the running game is going to stay good. And it just, it's just a matter of how much that's going to continue to be helpful. But of course, we're going to have to wait for more games to be played before we can really talk in any more depth about that. So for now, that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I will be back tomorrow with Lauren Cox of Locked on Bears. We're going to do a little crossover Wednesday, and we'll start previewing the Bears game from there on out. Cannot wait to start talking about a really, really interesting Bears team. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, and if you don't like any of those podcast apps, or you don't want to be looking at your phone, maybe you're a commuter, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow on Crossover Wednesday, and as always, skull.